Hello, everybody, and welcome to Truth Be Told. Really appreciate you listening in. I have a very special guest with me today. I am joined by Savannah Kimberlin, who is the Director of Research Solutions at the Barna Group. Hi there, Savannah. How are you doing today? Hey, Micah. I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for the invitation. Excited, excited to be here. Could you explain a little bit about your organization and maybe a little bit about what you do directly with the group itself? Sure. So the Barna Group is a Christian research company. We are a market and social research company, and we specialize in studying the intersection of faith and culture. So we have been studying and researching religion, particularly Christianity in the U.S. and around the world for the last 35 years, trying to keep our eye on trends that are changing. And so a lot of that has looked like generational research, um, but but also just studying spiritual practices, religious behaviors, thoughts, opinions, and the rest. So we, we publish books on what we find and um, we, yeah, we do all kinds of stuff to primarily help pastors, but also parachurch organizations and lay leaders as well, just to understand the times because things are changing so quickly in our world and here in the U.S. Um, and me, I, I'm on the team. I'm specifically on the church engagement team. I'm the director of research solutions on that team. So my job is to help us take the research that we do and then turn it into tools that can be really helpful to leaders. So a lot of times church leaders will look at our research and say, wow, that's really great, um, but so what? And what can I do with this? So my job is to help make things really practical and actionable for pastors specifically. That's awesome. And that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is very practical solutions to things. So I was thrilled that your name came up because I was like, oh, this is the perfect person to talk about what we're talking about. Cool. That's, cool, that's cool. awesome. Um, yeah. And, and you mentioned, too, that you uh, are a Christian organization, but you also there's no denominational uh, barrier that you guys find. You're you're in different churches studying uh, statistics, statistics in different places. And I find that really interesting. You get a really, really broad view of Christianity or faith in America that uh, is beneficial for everybody, even though it might not be reflective of uh, one individual organization or faith or sect. Uh, It's cool that you guys study everything because the answers you get are that much more broad and that much more useful to the smaller groups even as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's really unique. I would say that's something that Barna really prides itself in. And we, we take the responsibility of being, I think, maybe unbiased denominationally. We take that very seriously. It's funny, one of my first weeks at Barna, um, I distinctly remember I, I went to two presentations in one week. I went to present um, to the leaders of the Assemblies of God denomination, and then we hopped on a plane to go present to the Greek Orthodox Church, the leaders of that denomination. So it was just really interesting how our research can be applicable in all types of church environments. And it's really a privilege to serve um, all denominations. It's, it's an honor. So throughout the media, I think we as Christians or um, just really in any faith-based organization, we're starting to hear a lot more talk about uh, how faith is dying, or uh, maybe it's a narrative that's just preached mm. to us, or some people personally feel that uh, maybe their church or faith in general in America is just just receding and isn't as strong as it once was. Can you speak to that based on the research you guys have done at Barna? I would say that that absolutely is something that we all feel, um, that that times are a-changing, um, especially within the last probably 15 years, I would say, is when we've started to feel the most stark change in our nation. 
Um, and those, those sentiments and those feelings are not wrong. So I brought with me two data points maybe to illustrate this, um, this change that we're all feeling or experiencing. So one, I mean, there's so many stats that Barna has sure. tracked for 35 years, particular, particularly about um, just the state of faith in our nation. But one of them is um, just having an orthodox view of God. So just the classic Christian, um, there's a higher power and it's it's the Christian God, essentially. And sure. what percentage of the population holds that orthodox, traditional Christian view of God? So in the early 2000s, uh, pretty consistently for a number of years, we saw that around 70-ish percent of Americans held that orthodox view of God. So it was clearly the majority opinion um, and, and definitely impacted our culture. So... Now, when we look at data around 2020 or so, we see that that percentage has dropped to around 50%. So it's dropped about 30 percentage points over the last 20 years, the percentage of Americans that have that orthodox view of God. Um, so that's that's one thing that I'm sure we are all feeling is that 30 percentage. I mean, that's a, that's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very absolutely. large, huge drop off. Um, and then secondly, also, we we're talking about the the changing state of faith. Church attendance is really just a classic metric that we keep our eye on. And so if we're looking at the percentage of Americans, adults who, who attend church weekly through the 90s and the early 2000s, so for a stretch of truthfully almost 20 years, so a solid 15 years, the percentage of adults who attended church weekly was hanging right around 43, 44, 45%, which is fascinating, I think, in and of itself that um, really things were stable for such a long period of time. But then right around 2009, maybe 2008, 2010, right in that, that, uh, that moment in time, uh, a steady decline began. A drastic shift happened in our nation. And today we're at about 29% of Americans that attend church weekly. So it's dropped from the low 40 percentages-ish, low 40s, down to 29%. Wow. That is, I had no idea it was that drastic of a drop. And it's interesting too, how you have such high numbers, even at 50%, where that's not as high as it was at 70 or so, but high numbers of people believing in God, but then so few actually in attendance at church. So I believe in God, but what do I need to do about that? And that's kind of where you come in with like the practical uh, application of, of these numbers and and kind of what churches should uh, implement or what, what we should do about these numbers that we're seeing. Uh, can, can you speak to that a little bit, especially with regard to um, maybe the next generation of people? Uh, mm -hmm. Because I think there's a huge focus right now for churches on how do we, uh, the two words I like to use are how do we maintain? And then uh, also how do we, um, you know, grow or expand our, our congregation or our faith um, preaching the gospel, as it were. So could you speak to that, uh, especially regarding the next generation, which seems to be such a hot topic for churches now? Absolutely. That That is a, a mountain of a question to unpack, but really what our data suggests is that many are leaving the church or um, they're choosing to not get involved with the church because the church is not um, really giving them what they need, I think, to put it quite simply. So we asked millennials recently, um, millennials who had left the church, why? We asked them why. We did a survey. And their top three answers were 
um, because I want to distance myself from the politics of the church was the number one reason. Number two was church teachings have flaws or gaps. And then number three is the church does not answer my questions. So I think if we look at that second item and that third item together, really what we're discerning is, okay, these young people are voicing, hey, I have needs of some kind, mm -hmm. of some kind. And the church is not giving me answers to those questions that I have, or they're not meeting those needs. Um, so it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting dilemma for sure when we're talking about engaging the next gen. Yeah, I guess it would start with just evaluating what the needs are based on uh, your faith or your congregation. And even that's hard because how do you, either you measure it very metrically with you know a survey or something, or you measure it in a conversation, which is kind of hard to be very empirical about a solution with. And I could, I could imagine that'd be uh, incredibly tricky. I, I will say, I, I think this is in, in some ways an important conversation to have, just being aware of, of the problem. You know, if people are, are leaving or people are not wanting to commit to a, a church, that should be something we're aware of, but I, I hope people aren't getting the idea that, um, you know, it's all doom and gloom because I think your position at Barna is the perfect crossroads for this conversation because while it uh, approaches the problem head on, it also says, okay, but what can we practically do about this in mm -hmm. churches? And I, I think um, th there should be some hope for people as well, you know, feeling like, okay, well, what, what am I supposed to do with this? I, I can't just take this information and then just sulk about it. You know, we have to actually practically do something. Right, um, right. And that's kind of where I see your, your job really fitting in uh, so well there. And that's just awesome to me. Thanks. Yeah, it's fun. So is there anything that church organizations can do to reach out to the young people, evaluate their needs? Like, like, what would you suggest as far as mm -hmm. that goes? Um, just kind of boots on the ground, you know, if, if you are too empirical, it might come across one way. If you're too uh, vague or just conversational about it, they might not feel taken seriously. So what, what practical advice could you give to a, a church leader, for example? Yeah, great question. That's exactly the right question to ask, I think. And for all of us to really be doing some honest self-evaluation of our ministries with the next gen in mind. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. This is, this is the right moment to be asking this question. So so knowing that a lot of young people are voicing, um, hey, look, I'm not getting what I need from the church. You know, it's like, this is not giving me what I need. Um, I think firstly, how, how do we combat this is we, we listen to these young people and we think, <laughs> you know, we think about our ministries and we ask ourselves, am I giving young people um, the answers that they're searching for? Am I, am I really helping people? Um, and, and meeting this generation where they're at, I think, especially, um, it's not just Barna research that suggests this. It's, I mean, tons of researchers in different fields, especially um, psychology and whatnot, psychologists and therapists, we're seeing that young people today are more confused and they than ever before, and they are overstimulated. Um, they don't get a break from comparison ever. I mean, think before social media, um, you know, as a teenager, as a young adult, you would go to school and you would probably struggle with insecurity and you'd compare yourself to other people, but then you got home and you got to sit around the dinner table with your family where you were fully accepted and known and seen, hopefully, perhaps, um, but you got you got a break from that peer-to-peer -peer comparison because you sure. could breathe a little bit at home in the evenings, and that's just not the case anymore, mm -hmm. so 
developmentally for these young people, what are the implications there? They're overstimulated. They never get a break from that comparison. Um, things like that, their, their needs are so unique. And so while we are not going to um, coddle them, maybe that's the right word for it. And, and we are certainly not suggesting that we need to water down the gospel by any stretch of the imagination. What does it look like to meet them where they are and to help them where they're asking for help? Mm -hmm. um, so that, that is definitely number one, top of the list. If they're saying that one of the top reasons why they're leaving the church is because the church doesn't answer their questions, like how are we helping them and what are we giving them? Right. Um, secondly, so we did a lot of research um, recently in the last, I would say three or four years, specifically on the idea of building resilience in young people. Mm -hmm. And our, our president, David Kinnaman wrote a book on this um, called Faith for Exiles is the, the name of the book. And he talks about what are those building blocks for resilience? And um, I think if we're talking about, okay, how do, how, do we, how do we serve young people and how do we combat the issues that church, church organizations are facing today with young people leaving, we need, to, we need to look at those building blocks of resilience. And two of them in particular, I wanna talk about today, Micah. One, one is meaningful intergenerational relationships. In our churches, what are we doing to build those, knowing that that is a key building block? Um, and secondly, is this idea of cultural discernment. So what does it look like to help young people live wisely with technology, with um, you know, having Christian uh, or having non-Christian friends? How do you be a wise friend and steward those relationships? Those, those types of how do I be in the world but not of the world sorts of issues? Um, those are some key building blocks. So I, I think Micah, that would be my answer to your question of what, what do churches need to do? What do we need to keep our eye on? And I think that's such a great point, especially, uh, the last two that you brought up, because it's sometimes I think in this conversation, we can start to feel like, uh, the, the millennials and the, the Gen Z are leaving boomers. What are you doing? You know? And, and sometimes it's, it's about sure. equipping millennials and Gen Z. It's not about you know, someone doing something wrong intentionally or really being harmful or pushing people out. Uh, sometimes it's a very innocent mistake of, like you said, uh, not being able to connect and create those meaningful relationships as well, not realizing that that's even an issue. Um, and, and I think that's an important point that sometimes the best way to help somebody isn't just to see their problems, see their, their fears or their worries, and then fix it for them but equipping them to be resilient, as you mentioned, that's so incredibly important. Uh, so on the flip side then, cause nothing's a one way street. Mm -hmm. What would you, what advice would you give to a millennial or a Gen Z who's thinking, you know, my questions aren't being answered. Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes we think uh, as an individual and this is really the, the crux of what I'd like to get at in this interview, as an individual, I can't affect change in my church. And I like that you brought it to the ind individual level uh, just a mm -hmm. while ago and each of us taking personal accountability. But what would you, what would you say to them who are thinking, I'm, I'm really struggling with this, but I also don't know that I can do anything about it, so I'm just gonna leave. I think that there's been an interesting dialogue going on, especially in the media right now, around the topic of courage and just taking initiative, you know? And when things get hard, do you push through or do you give up? And, and I think, I mean, the scriptures are so clear um, that just because we, we choose to follow Jesus, 
that does not mean that life is not going to come hit us in the face sometimes. Right. Like that's, that is yeah. not what we are signing up for when we choose to be a believer. So how do we be courageous as young people um, to build our own resilience? You know, like mm-hmm. absolutely the church needs to step up, um, but we, but we also need to step up as young people. And I'm saying that as a millennial myself mm-hmm. and And what does it look like for us to take some initiative to form intergenerational relationships? You know, I I had a wonderful conversation with a dear, dear friend of mine um, who is uh, an an older woman who's a boomer. And we were talking about intergenerational relationships. And she looked at me and she said, Savannah, I, I just wish a young person would walk up to me and ask me to be in their life. Like, I absolutely would do that. I just don't feel welcomed into those relationships. And, um, and I was, I was so convicted because I was like, man, may, you know, we, I think a lot of times we're really hard on boomers, but are we yeah. welcoming them into be friends with us in that way? So how do we, how do we really take ownership of building our own resilience? Um, and, and it's kind of, it kind of has to be a, a both and where the church says, all right, we're going to step up, but young people also say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to step up too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's such a valuable point. I think uh, I, I was very fortunate in my church in that uh, as I got older, I stayed in the same congregation for a long time. My friends moved uh, to different congregations far away, and but it trickled down. You know, it was I have ten friends here, I have nine, I have eight. Suddenly, my last friend was leaving, and I thought, oh, what am hmm. I going to do? And that week, he was gone, and I thought, I better make friends with these people you know, that aren't of my same age group. And I did. I love my church. You know, the people there are, they're my family, they're my home. And I was kind of uh, weaned into that situation, but so many people aren't. And and I think you made a good point as well about uh, feeling isolated, like uh, older generations can feel isolated, even though they're at church, or even though they seem like that pillar in the congregation. Um, So the responsibility goes both ways and and Mm -hmm. having the younger people you know, take that initiative and, and really make it their own, um, you know, even just in their mindset, changing their mindset for this, this place to be their own place, um, flaws and all, you know, it's like buying a home that isn't perfect, but you're going to work on it little by little. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like when your AC breaks and you just bought a home, you're not gonna, well, hopefully, I don't know, maybe some <laughs> people do, but hopefully you're not going to, um, you know, throw your arms up in the air and say, why did I buy a home? I'm regretting this decision altogether. It's like, no, we're going to work out the kinks together. Right. And that's going to take some significant investment, but we're right. in this together. So, so just cultivating that resilience. I mean, I think that's the word of the day, Micah, resilience. Yeah. Like how do we cultivate that um, and all step up together just mm-hmm. to build that better? So, so in this hypothetical conversation, I guess, between an older generation and a younger couple of generations, uh, I think the conversation also needs to be had, um, you know, as as a church, we're going to go this far because we really do want to, you know, maintain uh, your membership and we want to keep you around because we see it as important. Um, Mm -hmm. But this is only as far as we'll go because otherwise we're sacrificing very, very important things. And I I think we can see that in, um, different churches, I don't want to point anyone out specifically because I don't know what any church is going through, but you see this shift away from maybe foundational doctrines that a church held into more, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, just a shift towards, well, let's cater to a younger generation. And then they mm-hmm. end up giving up things along the way. 
Um, mm-hmm. So, so where's that? Obviously, it's different for everybody. But where would you say that roughly that area is, or that line, where churches have to say, you know, we want to give you everything we can, but this is this is where we have to stop. Yeah. Oof, that's that's tough. <laughs> Uh, that's so tough. I can say, um, what I know, what I know to be true, what our research tells us is that young people today are looking for authentic, comforting Christianity. Um, and if we wholeheartedly believe that what we have to offer as it stands today, the, the, the religious traditions and the faith and the doctrine that, that we know to be true. Um, if we full, like full heartedly, wholeheartedly believe that what we are offering in that doctrine and in that rich tradition, we are offering peace and comfort and authenticity and I mean, we've got scripture to back us up. We've got the promises of God to back us up in that. That is what young people find appealing. Um, and and it, it's interesting, even just talking with, um, with a young person, I had a, a recent conversation um, with a young person who was saying that they were like, eh, I don't really like my youth group. And, and, I, and we inquired why. And this young person was like, well, you know, I'm looking for someone who wears dad jeans, not skinny jeans. Like that's the kind of mentor that I'm wanting in my life. Right. <laughs> and, and it was funny. And we, we laughed, but I was like, no, what they're really getting at is like, just give me authenticity. Mm-hmm. Like, give me the gospel raw. Give me time and space to wrestle with, with the truths that are mm-hmm. in scripture. I, I just, I think Christianity has a really beautiful opportunity um, to offer a generation that is so used to things being fake or touched up, you know, to offer them something that is really beautifully authentic and real. So what do we need to sacrifice things in other, in order to meet and reach a new generation? Um, To a certain degree. Okay. Sure. I think there are generational markers, traditions, whatever. And some Mm -hmm. of those we will need to leave behind of course, as has been true for every generation, by the way. Um, But are we going to sacrifice the heartbeat and the heart and soul of Christianity? I don't think that is something that young people are asking for. In fact, I think they're asking for the opposite. That is so interesting. I I feel like um, just in my, in my personal experience, I don't have any research to back it up, but uh, (laughs) that's my job, Micah, not your job. Exactly. I feel like in my in my personal experience, I've seen uh, so much misappropriation of what one generation thinks of another generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know I've, you know, I play music at my church and it's so subjective what everyone thinks of. We should play this kind or that kind or not this song or yes, this song. It's impossible to make everybody happy all the time. But I've been told mm-hmm. so many times we want to be sensitive of the older generation. And, you know, they, we don't want to offend them by playing something they would not enjoy. And I'm like, yeah, I can see that. And several times I've played songs where I'm told that. And then and a person, the older generation will come up and say, I love that. There was so much energy and enthusiasm. It was mm-hmm. perfect. And I just think that misappropriation of, well, they want it this way. And so we have to do it this way. It's like, it goes the other way too. Or we might think, well, the younger people, they just want this, 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 and this, and we can't possibly give them that. And it's like, well, maybe they're not asking for that. You don't really know sure. until you go and ask them what they want. Yes. And that's why we've, we've been on this soapbox for a while as Barna and we're not going to get off of it, but 
Um, but the soapbox is, what does it look like to be a data-informed leader? And I think you're right, Micah. Like, our, we think we know what people want, but are we asking them? I mean, there are so many free survey tools. Um, you don't have to be a Barna researcher in order to write a Google form question or a survey monkey question and, mm-hmm. and, and to send it out via email or whatever to your, to your email list so you can understand where young people are at today or what they're looking for. Um, I think like in particular, we have seen in our research a drastic increase in young people being interested in liturgy, in um, just in liturgical denominations and, um, you know, the beauty of call and response prayer and the beauty in guided prayer um, and, and, you know, liturgical um, traditions such as like confession, communal confession and poetry and um, all of that, hymns even, I would say just the the beautiful language that's in hymns. Like we're, we're assuming young people, oh, they want the cool hip stuff, but, right. but we're actually seeing in our research, no, they, they want other things. So are we listening to what they're telling us that they want? Um, absolutely, as Barna, we encourage every leader to be a data-informed leader so that we can be confident in our leadership. So back to individual accountability then. I, I think um, this is kind of the, the buildup to what I wanted to get to is I think so many people feel that they can't affect change or growth. You know, the, if the church's main mission is, is maintaining what they have and then also expanding upon that, preaching the gospel, growing their, their congregations, um, I think sometimes if we're not on the organizational level, if we don't have, you know, some sort of title before our name, we feel like we can't, uh, we can't really affect growth. We can't really affect change. Um, Mm -hmm. and and I see that over and over and over again in people, but I I really truly believe that church is at a congregational level while you might have organizations, why, while you might have a business model that, that seems to work, um, it comes down to working on the congregational level. Is there any, uh, hope you could give to an individual who wants to affect change or be able to maintain their membership and help people to stick around or to preach the gospel themselves and take on that individual responsibility? Great question. I want to go take a couple laps because that that is so good. Um, wow. Okay. What encouragement would we as Barna have to offer lay leaders? And by the way, we don't, we at Barna don't say lay congregants or whatever. We call them right. lay leaders. I think right. every, everybody in their own right is a lay leader, right? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I would say what we're seeing right now, and, and I think a lot of us feel this anecdotally, but the research suggests it, is there's a discipleship crisis right now um, in our churches and, and in our country here in the U.S. and around the world as well, but specifically in the U.S. in our moment in time. Um, and truly, we're seeing that in order to revive healthy discipleship that produces long-lasting Christian faith, like Zoe, life-abundant kind of Christian faith, mm-hmm. it, it has to be a grassroots thing. Because unfortunately, the church really has dropped the ball in this area. Um, so do, do pastors need to step up their game with spiritual formation? Yes. Do churches need to think more strategically? Yes. But can we lead by choosing to cultivate like cultures of discipleship in our own lives 
and within the congregation, like in a grassroots kind of a way. Um, what does it look like for us to choose to be evangelists on our own and to build our own faith? Um, I was having a really interesting conversation actually over dinner with a couple of friends. We were talking about how in the, in the Protestant Reformation was huge because it was essentially this movement to encourage people to own their faith for themselves. And just to say, look, I mean, I, I'm not meaning to oversimplify the Protestant Reformation, but in sure. a sense, part of it was, um, hey, look, we know that you've been looking to the church to feed you in this way. Let's take ownership of our, of our spiritual formation. And it's almost like we in the U.S. today need to remember that and sort of reclaim that for ourselves. What does it look like for me to form my own, um, my own faith in a really like, in a way where I own it for myself, essentially. Right. Um, and I partner with the church in that. So I would say um, claiming discipleship and maybe doing some honest self-evaluation um, of if you are owning that in your own heart and in your own life um, and in your own inner world, if you're choosing, if you're choosing to claim that for yourself and own that for yourself. Discipleship is, is such an important word. And I, th I think it really actually sums up a lot of what we're talking about. You could ask the question, whose responsibility is discipleship? Well, it's on the disciple to follow. It's on the leader to lead. And you see that example in Jesus Christ. So you have a perfect example to look to. Mm -hmm. And man, how valuable does discipleship become when you realize that that's something that should be happening right now? You know, not that any of our church leaders are Jesus Christ, but like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that should be the ideal of, of what we're looking at. And I, I like that you brought up the Protestant Reformation too, because at that time, it's, it's a, a question of let's bring the Bible down to the common man so everyone can understand and work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Right. And we, we really don't want to go back to a time where we say, uh, I don't have time to read it. Can you just tell me the answer? Because I don't have the answers I'm looking for. It's like, well, you know, the church should be preparing themselves to give you answers when you ask, you know, prepare to give a defense of, of the hope that lies within. But it's on the individual responsibility too to say, I've studied this, I've worked this out for myself. I can affirm the answers that you're giving me. And that is really wrapped up in the concept of discipleship, which I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. And uh, I, I hadn't actually connected the ideas until you had just said it right there. So thanks yeah, very much. Yeah, there's there are massive, massive gaps, Micah. I think even just one small example in our research that comes to mind is we've recently been researching missions a lot since we know that missions has been so disrupted during COVID. And, and so one of the things that we wanted to, to test was to see if people understood the Great Commission or if they could even identify the verse that is mm. the Great Commission. And only 12% of Christians today say that they know what the Great Commission even is. Wow. Now, now, I'm, you know, we're not here to debate, like, is that is that a term that is sure. um, old fashioned or whatever? That's not yeah, why yeah. we're here. But just, just to bring to the surface, wow, okay, balls have been dropped, you know, to a certain degree. Yeah. And so who's going to pick that up, those balls up? And what does that look like realistically? Mm -hmm. and, and how do we take ownership of that? um, and, and move forward. Yeah. And I think part of it probably does come, I don't want to speculate too much, but just comes from the fact that, um, we almost, I can't say this for a fact, but I feel that some people 
end up seeing the Great Commission and they see it to the 12 apostles and they don't see it as a call for themselves. You know, they, they don't see this as Jesus Christ talking to them and saying, this is a responsibility that you have as the church, because the church is not, um, you know, it's not always just leadership. It, it has to have congregants it ha or um, lay leaders, as you call them. Mm -hmm. Everyone is included. It's a spiritual organism knit together by what every single member supplies, not, you know, it's not your church structure of government. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the person giving a sermon. It is everybody. And when he gives a commission to the church, that is a commission to you just as much as it is an organization. That's so, so important. I don't, I don't think it's intentional, but I think it could be a really cool opportunity if people realize this is to me, you know, this is Christ talking to me. What a Absolutely. huge responsibility. Amen. Amen. Well, just, just one final question. This is more of just a, a personal interest in Barna as a whole and uh, your work there. Uh, just in all of your research, what has been the thing that, that struck you the most? The conversation and the research around mental and emotional health, specifically within the context of Christianity and the church and this dialogue. Um, I think we all know any listeners today would agree, okay, yes, this is a conversation that is being pulled forward more frequently, especially with younger generations. This is more common. This is important which is great, all of those things. Um, but I think what I've been most surprised by that I've seen in the research is one, how broken people, especially young people, but how broken people really are right now um, in our world, not just because of the tumultuous two years we've had, um, but even more, more than that, just in general, how people are just really struggling. And how um, how the church feels so ill-equipped, I think, to step up and shepherd those conversations. Um, I appreciate, I so appreciate and respect pastors' honesty when they say, hey, I don't feel like I am the right person to shepherd this topic in particular. Um, but, we, but we know that that is a topic that needs to be addressed within the local church, especially since young people are saying, Hey, I need help. Um, we even we recently asked a, a bunch of um, unchurched people, old and young, uh, would you be interested if your church or if a church in your community offered teaching or programs on mental and emotional well-being? And I believe if if not if it's not more than this, it's at least half of these people were like, "Yeah, I'd be interested in that. I'd be interested in signing up for that." getting involved with that, please help me. Um, so I would say that topic in particular is one that I've really enjoyed studying. And I, I mean, we certainly don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. And it's not just a, a young people, like a young people who have hormones kind of an issue. It's, it's right. a bigger issue than that. Um, so I'm excited to see where Barna goes next in tackling this and helping the church navigate that specifically. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And that, that seems like, uh, you know, the older generation asking the younger generation, what are your needs? And, and knowing that that's a need, even, even if we're ill-equipped, I, I think maybe some of the struggle comes from the fact that you mentioned that a lot of this stuff has to be grassroots. And when we're learning, oh man, these young people are really, really struggling with this. And we have to start it from a grassroots movement on how to become equipped to help that. I'm just hoping that uh, the 
the curves kind of meet in the middle somewhere where it's like, okay, and now we're equipped and you're still struggling, but we can help you at this point now, rather yeah. than it being too slow of a ball to get rolling, you know, because it, it really right. is so prevalent. It is. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate it. I think this conversation is going to be so beneficial to people. And I, you know, I, I didn't know uh, exactly what to expect with Barna. I thought there's so many numbers. I'm not a numbers guy. What am I going to do? But that's why I'm so glad that you are in this interview because you uh, take those numbers and you, you put out information that is practical and beneficial. And I think the work you're doing is just incredible. So stick around for another three and a half years because we could absolutely use you. Thank you, Micah. Thanks so much. It's been a blessing. Yes, I hope people are encouraged. And um, if anyone is interested in learning more about Barna or getting your hands on some of the research um, that was shared today, I would like to maybe tell our audience about a product. It's like our Netflix, our subscription service. It's called Barna Access. So go go to our website, Barna.com and check that out. Um, but yeah, even if you're not a numbers guy like Micah, <laughs> hopefully Barna has something to offer you. We're, we are here to encourage you guys, um, all listeners and viewers. I mean, times are hard. Um, times are so, so hard. We know that many of you have had a rough two years, um, even just in conversations with church leaders. Many of you want to quit. Many of you are questioning your vocation and your identity and lay leaders as well. You guys are struggling. So we are here to support you and encourage you to the very best of our ability as Barna. So thank you for the opportunity to, to be here today, Micah. Thank you all for joining us on Truth Be Told. I really appreciate you listening in and I hope this has been beneficial to you. Uh, as Savannah said, please reach out to Barna, figure out uh, where you might be struggling, take a personal look at your own life and your role in the church and realize that there is support, there is help, there are resources out there for you. And just stay strong because it is worth it. Faith is something that's incredibly important as Barna will show you over and over and over again. Um, but until next time, thank you all for listening. Keep on studying your Bibles, keep on thinking critically about them, and keep on applying the truths that we learn here to your lives. Thank you. Thank you.